Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to episode 70 of the Rex Chapman Show with my super dope homeboy from the next town, Josh Hopkins. Josh, we're relaxing here. Yeah, hey, buddy. Happy holidays. Episode 70. That's hard to believe. It is. That's a great guest. Yes. Yes, we have. And uh, another one today. But yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, before that, 70? I don't really know any 70. I have no idea. Uh, no number 70s in any sport jump off the page to me right now. No, no. Uh, I'm just going to have to go with like a seven and a zero. So I'm going to go Mickey Mantle, Tony Delk. Tony Delk was a double zero. Oh, so that's 700. Yeah. We'll use it. We'll, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when, yeah. Down the road. Yeah. Okay. So I'll go. Uh, what? Russ Westbrook, right? Yeah. 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 Very good. You could go Orlando Woolridge. The yeah, big O. The big o there. Yeah. 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 What about you? Uh, okay. uh, yeah. Sevens. I don't know why I always go Kenny Anderson. It was just oh, an okay. incredible time. Yeah. You know? yeah. But of course, the, the Elways, the. It's a lot of sevens. A lot of sevens. Um, and zero, I would go with. You don't know. You can't think of one. Dame. Dame Lillard. Dame, Dame Dollar. Yeah. 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 I love That's that a guy. good one. I want to yeah. have him on the show. Yeah. Let's do that. We've had a lot of some some crazy Blazer fans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it'd be nice. Um, Josh. Yeah. Each week, we do a book club where right. we talk about. What we've read, right? The week leading up to right, right so now, give the the people yeah. an idea of something right. they might enjoy right. reading. So, um, with that being said, book club. What'd you read this week, bud? Have, did you read anything? Um, holidays. You know, it's so much. Go, you know, I go see my yes. mom. I do them. I'm wrapping gifts. I yes. get so many presents. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a, a lot of time. No, nothing this week. No. What no. about you, though? You vociferous reader. Well, interestingly enough, I have been sent several books in the mail recently. All right here from, we go. From friends, and as per my rule, yeah. I every time I get a book, I spend one week getting excited about reading. Oh, okay. So and right now, yourself. yeah, and right now I'm in the mi- middle middle of the week of being excited, excited. about reading. Oh, uh, yeah, you don't want to spoil so, it. Or no, no, yeah, no. Yeah. So I haven't read anything. Okay, well, next week we will be waiting, bated breath, because unless I get another book in. Oh, but yeah. Then you can't read yeah, while you're excited. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, that's been book club. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Josh. Um, holidays are right here upon us, mm-hmm. and it got me thinking about Christmas Day basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get to our guest, uh, how do you feel about Christmas Day basketball? I love it. You do, yeah. yeah. I love that it's there, yeah. but I, I don't always get to watch it. Yeah, depends on you know you're at the the whim of your family and who's opening and who's doing well. Oh, yeah, and you're usually you're really going over. Yeah. Well, yeah. Huh? No, I'm pretty drunk. <laughs> No, uh, so when when uh, food is served, when kids are restless, but I enjoy it. Yeah, I, and they always put good games out. I enjoy it. Um, I also will say it's not the best uh, to play on Christmas. You Day. participated. I participated on, on a Christmas, yeah, on a Christmas like Day game. Family. Um, it was fortunate. I, it was in. I was in Phoenix. We played the Lakers on Christmas Day in like ninety. Six, seven, something okay. like that. Okay. And um yeah. And it was an early afternoon game, but it it sucked because you know, we had at the time three kids and they were all under seven mm-hmm. or so. Santa Claus, big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it worked out for us though. We, you know, as players, we could spend Christmas morning home and mm-hmm. drive down the arena. Mm-hmm. But it sucks for the opposing team that has to travel. Yeah. And uh anymore, I believe. 
I believe most teams do offer to take along spouses and children to away games. That mm-hmm. was not something that happened right. back then. Right. But um, I enjoy shoot. Look, I enjoy watching football on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I get yeah, everyone yeah. enjoys watching mm-hmm. basketball. It's just a little different for the players, but also what a privilege. Yeah, well, how'd what you do on, on that game? Do you remember? I Until uh, I started thinking about it, I thought we won, but apparently we lost oh. by 20 to the Lakers, mm-hmm. and they weren't great at the time. They had, they had Shaq, they had Eddie Jones, they had a young Kobe that wasn't very good yet. Yeah. Um, we had a we had uh, you hold him to I think I snuffed him. Uh, yeah. Just, he had zero. Yeah, I had 15 or 16. Duck all you know, over yeah. him. Yeah. He I'll didn't stop he didn't, didn't even score. You. No. <laughs> you uh, are the that coach. really it was that game, apparently, that you know, some people say that really, really turned his focus around. And because he bought Rex, you have been busted in my ass. Yeah, I got he really yeah. did good. Yeah, well. I'm glad you took the lesson. Uh, let's get to our guest, Josh. Yeah, you want to? I'm, I'm excited. I know I've brought him up. I'm sure I've mentioned his, his name a dozen times already yeah. on this pod over the course of the last year, year and a half. Let's get to our guest, college basketball analyst, hoops guru, Ohio State Mr. Everything. Welcome, Clark Clifton Kellogg Jr. <laughs> You went deep, Rex. You I went did. deep with your prep there, man. Very Had good. To. Great to be with you guys, man. Appreciate the intro. Glad to be able to um, pop on and chop it up. I can't tell you. Uh, I bring your name up all the time, periodically with this pod, just because, uh, man, when you were at Ohio State, Clark, um, I was, I think, I was in middle, I was in middle school. And yeah, you're a little behind me. You're a little, a little bit, me. but it, it was just, you know, you were one, you're right above us in Ohio. I was in Kentucky. And the way that you, you just took college basketball by storm. I mean, and, you know, a lot of times the best player from high school doesn't end up being the best player in college. And you were that. I, I got to get to one thing, though. Yeah. It's all time favorite thing about you. Where? Did you start and when did you start your free throw routine? <laughs> you know, Rex, I was born out of desiring to be a little different. I always had a little showmanship in me. Sometimes it got me in trouble, but um, I always tried to play the game with a little flair. And it was just a way, quite honestly, to distinguish myself from others. Um, I look back at it now and I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually rationalized it in my own mind as if I was catching a pass prior to going into my shooting motion. So that's how I justified it and rationalized it in my own mind. In my own mind. So Coach Miller, my coach at Ohio State, um, didn't really have any issue with it. But then I got to the NBA, and um, my coach at the time, Jack McKinney, wonderful man, um, said, hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna archive. We're going <laughs> to deep six. We're going to deep six that, that, um, that, pre- that, that free throw routine. No, no, let's, uh, let's go with something different. Can you take us through it just visually and verbally for the people that are just listening, kind of just take us through it? Yeah, basically, instead of bouncing the ball, most guys, some guys don't take any dribbles, but most guys take some number of dribbles and have some kind of pre-shot routine at the free throw line. For me, it was simply I got the ball from the official, and instead of bouncing it, Josh, I just kind of tossed it in the air, caught it, got into my mechanics, and then let it go. Mm. Funny story. A guy by the name of John Johnson at the University of Michigan, my junior year, okay, I've been doing this the three years I was in college, actually intercepted my self-pass. <laughs> but it was not a legal play, so I got the ball back. But I think after watching it, he just said, let me see the balls. It's in the air. So, I yeah, right. see if I can. so he actually took it, and the official said, get back here. But it was hilarious. And that is great. Right. I saw him several years ago at a Final Four. And he said, hey, you remember when I did? I said, how can I forget it? You're the only guy Clark, who ever did it. Clark, didn't they Didn't they sort of ban that? You can't let the ball go now and then re-catch it. I thought they, they made it. You know, I don't know if they banned it officially or if, uh, if not, but I've not seen anybody do it. You know, And, and yeah. it was a weird – again, it was just something, you know, to add a little flavor, a little differentiation. Um, actually – now, looking back, I should have been like an 85% free throw shooter instead of 75, 76. So maybe that has something to do with 
Um, <laughs> Josh and I were just talking to ask him about the uh, high school game. Yeah, I mean, I mean, people, these young kids, they forget, and you are dominant, and you were dominant in high school and college, and you still hold the record for most points in the finals game uh, in high school in Ohio. No three-pointers. Yeah. No three-pointers, and there's been a some pretty good players to come out of Ohio in, in yeah. <laughs> lately. And uh, so you had 51 and 24 in the final game and you, you all didn't win. Yeah. What? Yeah, that was painful. Yeah, that was painful. That's, that's what, what we want to know. Still painful for yeah. you. Yeah, it is. That. It is. I mean, you know, I never won a Big Ten championship at Ohio State. My freshman and junior year, we played on the last day of the season with the chance to win it outright my freshman year in Bloomington, lost in overtime to Indiana. My junior year, we had a chance to share the title had we beat Minnesota, but we lost to them at Minnesota. But typically when you come down to a game where it's winner take off of the championship, there have been some other games that maybe got away during the conference season that you might have should have won, perhaps should have won. But nonetheless, came up short, came up short in the state high school championship game. We had a really good team, um, had a great season. Uh, my numbers were born out of necessity in that game back in 1979. We were down big in the first half, and I basically didn't take it and shot it every time I could, basically. <laughs> I mean, that's what it ended up being. I think I took 41 or two shots, and I still lament six or seven free throws I missed, the pass I made. It. I mean, you always tend to – Rex knows this, the guys uh, who have played. Even whatever level, you kind of remember some of the low moments more than you do the high ones. It's just the way I think our minds work and the disappointment of not being able to come through, but it did lay the groundwork. My high school, St. Joe's High School in Cleveland, was all boys at that time. It's since become co-ed um, back in 1990, but that was the first time our school had gotten to the championship game. Yeah. So I felt great about that, and then ultimately um, our high school ended up winning multiple, I think six or seven state championships at every division level over the um, last 25, 30 years or so. So I had a hand in that but that record only gets a chance to be broken once a year right yeah big school state championship game yeah i think john d who played at ohio state and had a successful career overseas um got close um one or two other players may have gotten close but it's only one it's a one-shot deal come march of um ohio basketball tournament time and so far it stood the test of time and that's um it'll be 44 years uh, coming up this season so, so I'm always so intrigued with Rex. Rex was he could have been governor when he was yeah. Oh, in yeah. high school. It's not anymore. Kentucky. Not anymore. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> he couldn't be. But he was ballyhooed. He was, you know, first team All American. He was, yeah. You know, and he was great in high school. And he always says to me that he always talks about he didn't know if he'd be really any good at Kentucky or he didn't expect to come right in and, and be good or start, or he was surprised by a lot of that. You were so dominant in high school. Were you surprised at your early success or did you expect it? You know, I, I was, I was comfortable with it because I had a lot, of, I had some good support mechanisms in my circle. I grew up in Cleveland. Um, my dad had been a really good all-around athlete, so he helped ground me and what it would take to try to maximize my potential. Police and the officer, other thing right? that really helped, yes, he's a, yes, police he's a long-time police officer, yep, for over 40 years. And, um, man, he gave me a lot of good foundational pieces around how to go about my game. And then being in Cleveland, the Cleveland Cavaliers, a number of those guys would hang around during the summer. Wow. Jim Jones. Campy Russell, Austin Carr, Mike Mitchell, Bingo Smith. Mm. And I had a chance to play pickup basketball with them in the summer when mm. I was in high school. And as the older guys always do, Rex has done it with guys that come behind him, guys that go before him have done it with him. They always kind of pull you aside when you show some aptitude and ability and try to give you some counsel and some advice and some encouragement. So I had that from the time I was 15, 16 years old during the summer. I knew I wasn't a pro, but 
hearing them and being on the court with them, even though they were going at 60, 65% and yeah. not being totally embarrassed and out of my league gave me some impetus to think that if I stayed on this course, I got a chance to be where they are. And so that was extremely valuable for me in terms of my confidence and belief. And then as you go through each level, the players know before anybody else does. Um, as you're competing with teammates, Herb Williams was a teammate, Calvin Ramsey, both first-round draft choices in the NBA before me. So being on the court with those guys and the Cleveland Cavalier guys I had a chance to, to spend time with um, kind of gave me a sense that I would have a chance, no guarantee, but I would have a chance to um, get to where I hope to to be based on how I was dreaming about someday being able to get to the highest level. Were you always going to Ohio State? Was anybody else in the picture? And talk to me about those teams at Ohio State. I mean, people don't know. I mean, it, you played on one or two of the best college teams ever to not win it. I mean, yeah. Herb, Willi yeah. Herb Williams, yeah. Granville yeah. Waiters, Tony yeah. Campbell. And yeah. uh, I was looking over the roster yesterday, earlier today, Arch Schleister for a year. Yeah, Art was with us for a year. But my freshman year, Rex, I came out of high school in 79. And that class, for those that are historians of the game, the high school class of 79 is, by consensus and study, the best high school class ever. Because it included James Worthy, Ralph Sampson, Dominique Wilkins, Terry Cummings, Steve Stepanovich, Isaiah Thomas, Sam Dirk Bowie. Minifield, Sam, Sam Bowie, Dirk, Sam Bowie, Dirk Minifield, Derek Horde. Yeah. Uh, Quentin Daly, the late Quentin Daly, Byron Scott, Dale Ellis. I mean, I can wow. go John, John Paxson. I can go on and oh. uh, not for just not for just what the guys did in high school, but what they went on to become in the pros and probably five or six or Naismith Hall of Famers yes. yeah. um, in terms of what they did in the NBA. So it was a remarkable, remarkable class. And as I came out, I was considered one of the top one, two or three mm -hmm. players in that class based on whoever you were looking at, but it, I was consensus top five and, and one of the best, well, the best high school class ever by those who follow it. Um, so my freshman year, Williams was a junior. Calvin Ramsey was a senior. It's one of the most talented teams yeah. in the history of Ohio State basketball. Jim Smith ended up being a third-round NBA yeah. draft choice. Carter Scott got a cup of water and a tryout. And kept, so, I mean – and the Big Ten was loaded as a conference then, too. Isaiah was at Indiana. Mike Woodson was at Indiana. Ray Tolbert and Landon Turner, those guys were – I mean, it was it was loaded. Joe Barry Carroll was at Purdue. But um, I say that just to say that our fresh, my freshman year was a really talented group. And then my sophomore year, we kind of went off the rails, even though we had talent. Then my junior year, we kind of overachieved. Granville Waiters was part of that. Tony Campbell had a mm -hmm. successful, very successful NBA career, terrific college player won a championship or two in the NBA during his time. But, yeah, there was some really good talent uh, rolling through Ohio State and the Big Ten um, in the time that I was there, the um, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, Tony Campbell beat me up for a couple years. My first couple years, I was 19, 20, and he was, yeah. he was getting big. He just won a couple titles in L.A., and he was getting big minutes with the Timberwolves. Yes, And, yes, and we yes. played them, and every time we played them, he'd just take me down in the post and just try yeah, to – he was strong, man. He was strong. He was tough and athletic and knew how to score. Yeah, yeah. he was a terrific um, college and pro player. Clark, you mentioned your dad uh, being a longtime police officer. You, you were the – you're the oldest of five that left you yep. trying to be the man of the house a lot of the time. How did that mold you and, uh, you know, sort of uh, shape your future? Yeah, you know, my dad was, my mom and dad both are really foundational to how I view the world, as I, how I viewed the world as I grew up. And also I had really great support from them and extended family, aunts and uncles, all four of my grandparents were alive through my early 30s there in Cleveland. So I had a tremendous network of um, care and love and support. And my dad was um, our biggest fan, even though he was a police officer and oftentimes um, wasn't able to be there. Um, as a matter of fact, he was because he had flexibility with his job. He was able wow. to be there a lot of, wow. at, at a lot of me and my brother's games. I mean, I can't recall him not being there as a matter of fact, but his work schedule would take him away from the house at times, but his game, he had, he made it to just about all of our, wow. our games, which was a tremendous um, 
tremendous bit of encouragement, but just being in an environment, lower middle income class neighborhood, predominantly black area, um, good families around us, and then the extended family, um, helped me have a sense of wanting to um, do well and wanting to, to make my folks proud. You know, I think some of that is birth order when you're kind of the firstborn. Yeah you kind of get a little extra attention and so forth. And there's part of you that your part of your personality is developed by that. Um, so I always felt like I needed to set a good example. Uh, I had my moments where I went off the, you know, when I went off the straight and narrow, but by and large, I was early on reminded to kind of do right, do well and give your best effort and everything. And that's how I tried to approach it. And basketball grabbed me. And that helped keep me in line even more because I really didn't want to have the privilege of playing basketball ever taken away. And that's kind of how my folks kept me in line. When I did stray, they take that pumpkin away and I'd straighten up in a heartbeat. <laughs> it's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want the listeners to know most probably of this generation anyway, know you from TV and yeah. you know, college basketball analysts. Um, but Clark, you were a high draft pick and you were, you, you were not only a 20 and 10 guy, uh, or basically in, in college, you were, I think you're 30 and 10 your last year, but you, you, uh, you were a 20 and 10 guy in the NBA for several years and as a rookie as, yeah and as a rookie coming right in doing work um I don't know that people know that or know how difficult that is um but then the knee injuries yeah. and I guess my question is for you at that point when you just realize you can't do it physically how difficult was it um and how were you able to just take all the effort, energy, and time that you put into basketball and flip it into another passion. Yeah, you know, it's a pretty, it's a fairly simple but multifaceted answer I have for that one. It was one of the hardest things I had to go through in acknowledging and coming to the place where basketball playing was going to be over premature. I got drafted at 21. I left after my junior year. I was 21 when I got drafted. I was announcing my retirement from the NBA at 26 after having shown the ability to be a good player in the league, was starting to understand what it would take to become great in terms of the work, both mental, emotional, and physical, and was on that trajectory and was looking forward to that. And then the left knee just started to have some issues, cartilage worn away, three arthroscopies, and ultimately it can't stand up to playing the game that has carried me through college on a basketball scholarship, exposed me to people and things and opportunities that um, I only had dreamed about. And so basketball really had been the throne of my life. And it had really presented some positive experiences and opportunities, but it shouldn't have been on the throne of my life. And it was when it was taken away that I came to a place over time through some nudging from my wife through some interaction with the local minister that I got to a place where I started to allow a minister in Indianapolis to share the word of God with me and what that meant for how I was to live according to the scriptures based on God creating me, having a purpose for my life that was bigger and beyond what I did. And over a period of months, 
as I was moving towards ultimate retirement, I didn't know it was going to be over in August of 87, but in November of 86, I began to spend time with this minister looking at purpose. And over a period of months, I got to a place where I acknowledged my need for God through faith in Christ, bowed my heart and life to Christ in November of 86. That's um, over 36 years ago now. And Christ became the throne of my life. God through Christ sat on the throne as the central pillar of who I am, who I'm to be and how I'm to be in reflecting who he is in every aspect of my life. And uh, if I had to do it again, I mean, to have basketball taken away to gain God and Christ, I'd go through it in a heartbeat in terms of what I found in that relationship with the God who gives me life and breath. And that really, Rex, is what sustained me and moved, helped me to move through the disappointment and the sorrow of lo losing what had been such a significant part of my life. I mean, it had given me so much, and yet my life is fuller now because I have God. God with nothing is everything. Everything without God, as I see it, is nothing. And so now that I have God through Christ, um, that is foundational in every aspect of my life. And some of the things we learn in athletic competition are universally transferable. Yeah. Self-starting, initiative, discipline, working with other people, handling failure, handling success. Those are lifelong principles that can have application and value in other areas. So I basically took the approach that I took to trying to excel and realize the dream of being a player at the highest level to how can I excel in this new lane of commentating? And how that's basically know? how, uh, basically how I approached it. How did you know that was going to be, I mean, it's, I one, didn't. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. You, you, you're great at this one thing. Very few people are just the best at, at two different things. The fact that you can get in, people don't understand the fact that you can get in front of the camera, look at the camera. That's something I don't do well. I don't look at the camera. You can look at the camera. You can look at your partner. You can do all of that, Clark, and you've always been able to do that. But then you became elite at it. Where did you get the, who gave you the first opportunity to do this? Yeah. And when you were at Ohio State, were you just sort of, uh, like I did, and you know, it sounds like maybe you did at times, were you just sort of sleepwalking basketball? Like you said, it was the throne of your life. Yeah. Were you, when you were younger and in school, were you thinking about what you might do after basketball? I was, Rex. I was. Actually, there are a couple of things. My mom was adamant. My mom, bless her soul, she died way too early at uh, 53 back in 94, complications from a surgery. We lost her. I was 33 years old at the time. But she told me early in my basketball journey, I recall this. I can't remember exactly, but I was maybe eighth or ninth grade, perhaps. And she knew this dream was a fire in me that I wanted to get to be a pro. And I had all kind of ideas about how it was going to happen. But she admonished me firmly. She said, if you think you're going to be this basketball star that you want to be, you better not ever embarrass us when a microphone is put in front of you. She told me that and her brother, my uncle, told me that. No does and dumbs and you need to be able to coherently communicate and answer questions in a way that represents you and this family well. So I took that to heart from the time a microphone was ever put in front of me as a ninth or 10th grader as I started to excel and do interviews. I was ever mindful of communicating well and being a serious student because of the stereotype around not just athletes, but particularly black athletes around not being able to excel on the quarter field and be able to handle your academic business. So I was driven to dispel that. And I got great reinforcement from that for that from my parents, family, and teachers that I had going back to elementary school. So, and I've always loved reading and math, communicating books. So that was part of what I enjoyed. And I always tried to excel in those areas. So that was part of it. The Pacers gave me my first opportunity on radio. I retired in August of 87 by late September, early October of 87. I was doing Indiana Pacers radio. That's Donnie right. Walsh, 
who was the president and general manager. I had built up some pretty good equity, not just with our team and franchise, but in our community. I lived there year round. I really wanted to be responsible around the platform God had given me through playing to connect to the people that were supporting us. And that paid dividends and that Donnie wanted me to be connected to the franchise in some way. I wasn't quite interested in coaching or community relations. And we hired a guy who's been doing the Miami Heat now for 20 plus years, Mike Inglis. Right. He had just come down from Canada and got a job with the station that was carrying the Pacer games. And they hired him to do the Pacer games. And it was a great opportunity for me, recently off the court, knowledgeable about the game, to be his partner on radio. That was my beginning. And that same season, a station in Cleveland, where I grew up, was televising Cleveland State games on TV. The general manager happened to be a St. Joe grad. Knew I was doing Pacers radio. I had a tremendous following from my high school and college days. Would you be interested in doing a few games? We can't pay you much, but we think you've got potential and it would be great for our network. And I think it would be good for you. So right out of the gate, I'm doing 75 to 80 Pacer radio games and eight to 12 Cleveland State University games on a small scale. I have a chance now to learn the craft Without a huge national audience, I'm rough around the edges, but I think I can be good at it, and I decide I'm going after it. And that was my beginning, man. That was it. That's just amazing. And it it also prompts me to ask, so you've gone from a guy that's averaging 20 and 10 just a year before in the NBA. Probably would have been an all-star if y'all's teams had been good, right? (laughs) <laughs> oh man, that's, a, that's another conversation. Yeah. So, um, but now you're in the booth. You've uh, you've connected with the minister. You've found uh, your faith. <laughs> it still has to be just hard as heck. It's on the buses, on the planes, you're traveling, going to games. You're watching guys that you've played with. Watching guys you've busted up on other teams. How difficult was that, Clark, at times? How really? Because I, I, I can only. Early on, it was challenging. Yeah. Early on, it was challenging, bro, um, Rex and Josh, from the standpoint that I was only 26, 27 years old. And as I got off my knee and started not playing, it felt like it was oh. for me to be out there. Mm. And I'm like, oh, shoot. But I knew the reality. reality. My knee couldn't stand up to the rigors of NBA basketball. So I shifted my whole paradigm. And I always, I talked about my mom and dad and teachers, but there's a mentor who's still a dear friend of mine, successful insurance agent, who actually befriended me when I was in high school. And I worked for him in the insurance business during the summers, just learning property and casualty insurance, getting my license. And he too helped me start to think about what could be possible beyond playing. Your name recognition is an asset and you can leverage that particularly if you go to Ohio State or any other place, you could actually leverage that. So I was starting, as best as a 17, 18-year-old kid can, think and start at least giving thought to what that might look like and how you can maybe set yourself up for success in every facet. Knowing that basketball, no matter how long it lasts, it is ending at some point, whether it's through my injuries or Father Tom. So I did have some of that working in my mind and I didn't want it. I didn't want my life to be just basketball player, maybe successful and then fall off a cliff. I thought, Hey, those principles I can apply. I want to be impactful. I want to have influence. I want to be successful and I'm willing to do the work. If it would have been insurance, I would approach it the same way. Start at the bottom, surround yourself with good people and then show up and do what needs to be done. And, don't necessarily wait for it to happen. I did the same thing in broadcasting, probing my partners. How do guys get good at this? Listening to some of the guys I enjoy. How do you get good? What's important? Be a good partner. Do your homework. Realize you're just beginning. Don't have all the answers. Be humble. All of those things I took to heart because I didn't want to be average. I didn't want to just be going through the motions. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to see if I can be good. And so I got good, fast, 
And one thing led to another from Cleveland State and the Pacers radio, the Pacers TV for 20 plus years, to the Atlantic 10 network, Big East network, ultimately ESPN, and then from ESPN to CBS. And I've been there um, full time since 97 in the studio and calling games and uh, have been very fortunate to, to do it with the folks that I get to do it with. Well, we've been fortunate to to hear you. You know, this community, we're both from Kentucky and we're in Lexington right now. Uh, uh -huh. for holidays. And this community, as you well know, is, it's college <laughs> basketball. It's, oh, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. And all my friends, uh, it's what we've cared about since we were so little. And to hear... He's downplaying it, even though it sounds desperate. <laughs> yeah. It's way hey, more... Hey, believe me, I know. You, you know. Kentucky was in my top four. When I was being recruited, it was Ohio State, Michigan, Kentucky, and Notre Dame. Those are the only four schools I visited. And before Joe B. passed away, anytime I would see him, he if I was in Rupp, he'd point to the championship banner, and he'd say, he'd, he'd say Clark, if you'd have come here, you'd have got one of these. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Josh and I yes. went to see him. Josh and I actually went to see him about two weeks before he passed. And we it he it was an amazing man. Uh yeah, sure he was. wasn't communicating very well, but he managed to tell a story about my grandfather that I had forgotten about. Mm -hmm. And he laughed and had tears in his eyes, and we laughed and had tears in our wow. eyes for five minutes. But what anyway. a gift. What yeah. a gift. Man. Well, to hear your yeah. voice now, just to hear the the tone and the lilt of your speech and the way like it it makes me so happy you have a brand with it for me and for all my friends mm -hmm. it's like you, you hear like I'm so excited yeah. just makes me it's March it's happening right yeah. now cutting yeah. over here well let's cut over to the St Joseph's game it's like oh yeah it makes me so happy just to hear like uh, I should have um, you should be my alarm. Like, good <laughs> get up and attack the day. I'm gonna jump out of bed, and it's such a pleasure to have you, man. What, uh, and I wanted to know because you, uh, you talk about the uh, NIL, and I've heard you uh, uh, talk this past weekend, I think, a little bit about it. What do you think? Because it's the Wild West right now, but yeah. if, if mm -hmm. NIL it went to the best place it could what's the best of the nil look if it if it, we were to adapt it the right way and what's the worst of it if it goes the wrong way what what are those two well i think the best i think the best of it and i'll i'll kind of stay there because that's what i'm hoping we can influence and bring to fruition is the best of it the best of it is not being penalized for earning the college scholarship that's first and foremost that you're not penalized that you have an opportunity if you have branding opportunities, endorsement opportunities, that you can at least explore those if you desire and take advantage of those. The other component that I think is not talked about enough, the educational part of it, in addition to the transactional part of money, the transactional part, I think gets way too much attention because there's a greater opportunity for transformation, not just a transaction, through education by way of NIL. And that's an institutional responsibility. That's perhaps an NCA responsibility. That's an individual athlete and their family's responsibility to use the opportunity to engage in real-life interaction in the marketplace for the benefit of you currently, but also for education that can serve you down the line, if you don't happen to become a pro or if you do. The whole premise around higher education is that you're preparing all of the students, athletes included, for citizenship and fruitfulness and success. NIL, to me, is an opportunity to put the education at the center. We're gonna teach you about what a good deal is, what a good opportunity is, what a short-term what a good company corporate relationship is and how you can begin to decide and make decisions about where you are, what you might want to have now, but what might be better down the road and be able to bring that together in an integrated fashion for the education, empowerment, and uplift 
of those student athletes across the board. All student athletes are participating in NIL for different reasons. We've got a thousand athletes in 36 sports at Ohio State. And the last look, the last numbers I saw, there are obviously some folks that are killing it, but they're not all just football and basketball folks. There's some volleyball girl ladies that are killing it. There's a lacrosse player, and some of it is social media, but the opportunity is there with the right education and the right support that it can really be a nice foundational piece to preparing kids for successful transitions to adulthood in the real world. But now, because it's the first question that many families are asking being recruited, particularly in basketball, football, what is the NIL? The relationships, NIL was not available when I was here, but I've been able to leverage through my education at Ohio State, through where God has taken me in my journey, through the relationships and my education that have been part of the family of being at Ohio State, those things are valuable and can be actually amplified with NIL, in my opinion. So I really want to see federal legislation seems like it might need to happen so that there's a uniformity and a consistency to kind of close some of the loopholes and the blatant cheating that can take place that's unenforced now. If there was legislation with some bite, subpoena power, because I've talked to some athletic directors, then the cheaters would be able to suffer the consequences for their actions. Now, there's no way to really enforce or penalize those who choose not to go up against the line, but to just go over. And we know there's always going to be that. You can't legislate integrity. You can't legislate morality and righteousness and right doing there's going to be that human nature is such that we're all capable and have the capacity for tremendous good but we also have the capacity to go the other way too and that temptation sometimes is too strong for some but i really feel good about what nil intention is and the potential for what it can be disruption and chaos is part of any new landscape that's inevitable and that's what we're experiencing now. But I certainly don't want to throw out the potential good for a few of the outlying negatives and chaos. So that's uh-huh. that's my posture. I just think there's a tremendous opportunity to to use it, to put money in, in people's pocket that can make a difference. You know, non-revenue sport athletes make a few thousand dollars embracing NIL. That's phenomenal. Being able to maybe help some charities through NIL, leveraging donor bases and those who support institutions in their communities, leveraging that for the good of the student athlete and others. I mean, that's that's wonderful. That is, I think, the real opportunity in um, with NIL and what it's intended to, to bring about. We've got a period now where it needs to be reeled in, but uh, I'm hopeful there'll be enough folks that um, see the positive and really want to embrace it for the good of the the games and the and the athletes and uh, and the communities w- in which they participate. And then, um, what about with the game itself? I think none of us really saw a vision of where it's come, where we've kept really good college basketball players in the game. Great points. Great points. Like Timmy. Like Great points. And it's made the game much, much better. The college yeah. game is something you wouldn't, no one thought immediately about. Right. That's um, right. yeah. And it's so fun to have those guys still still playing because they can make some money, even though they're not high draft picks. Their they're yeah. game doesn't translate so well. Yeah. So yeah. that's been a lot of fun. Don't you? Yeah, mean, that has been. And Jay Wright made that point, which is a really good one, that you have a number of guys that, with the NBA, maybe marginal prospects. We know that there are really average college players that will be great pros, and there are really good college players that won't make it in the pros. It's just the nature of the two games are totally different. So that's fine. But to have the opportunity to monetize some of your notoriety and some of your leverage and connections with your institutions in a game that's um, throwing off quite a bit of money, in part because of CBS and Turner, providing what we do for the media rights to the men's tournament. So 
being able to share in some of that is huge. And I agree with you. I mean, the fact that some guys are going to be motivated to continue their educational pursuits and play college basketball because they can bridge the gap between a potential pro career and no money at all in college in the past, I think that's a good thing. I really do. I think that's a good thing, a healthy thing. I, I think about guys right away who I grew up watching and who I still watch, who played at Ohio State. I don't know why I think of so many guys who were like Jay Burson, who was not yeah, going yeah. to be a pro. Uh, Aaron Kraft. I would have loved yes. to see Aaron Kraft knock out $2 million in college, mm -hmm. right? He carried yes. the program yes. on yes. his back. Wasn't yes. going to be a pro. You know, Mateen Cleaves, yeah. um, Jacques wow. Vaughn, all these guys that, yeah. you know, weren't going to go on and be – great pros they are pros in that city they are yes. pros in columbus yes. they're pros in lexington and we worship them so yeah you made you made a statement that i, I hope the ncaa and the institutions will step up because technically they're not paying the players they're but right. they are reaping the benefits of having yes. the nil money i feel like it's incumbent upon them to really step up educationally and yes. make this the best that it can possibly yeah. yeah, and I hope they'd be creative. I don't know much about our new NCAA president, uh, Mr. Baker, but clearly there's an opportunity with this landscape in transition and NIL, the trans a number of different elements. But just speaking of NIL, there's a real opportunity to leverage this in a very healthy and positive way and, and stiff arm some of the outliers and really make it what it should be for the student athletes an opportunity to leverage their image and their likeness for their benefit and institutions should be part of that the communities the donor base collectively looking at it from an educational and financial standpoint and i think there's enough there's enough intelligence and enough appetite as long as there's some fortitude to go against the grain a little bit to be um, creative and up to up to date with what the marketplace will allow uh, with some real thoughtful creativity around serving the student athlete because that's not been the it has been in word but it hasn't been in action as as much as it could be yeah. part of it is you know part of part of that that misstep is saying that this should have already been proactively embraced by the NCAA right right. So, not react. There was a real app, you know what I mean? Instead yep. of having it forced upon them by the courts. Right. And now we're here. Let's maximize it. Let's really reframe it in a way that it um that people feel good about yeah. what it is and what it does um across the board. Um, Clark, if we don't get to college basketball, some basketball question, people around here are gonna uh take Josh and I hostage. Um but so I want to ask you about who are the teams this year that we need to yeah. be taking a look at. And uh, but first, uh, what about from, you know, 50,000 foot view? We kind of get in the weeds here in Lexington and can't see Yeah, a little bit, just a little what, bit, just, just a little, little bit. bit. <laughs> what what's what's going on with our Wildcats? Man, I tell you, I was surprised at their difficulty to get it going offensive. Um, that's been a bit of a fit and start in most of the games I've watched, and I've watched probably a half dozen of their games. They've had periods. Um, it just doesn't seem like they're comfortable in how they want to play through Oscar and then the other guys being able to, to work off of him for quality, consistently quality shots. Uh, not getting enough off the defense to create some open floor, easier baskets. Not doing that enough. Um, I think the pieces are there but they just haven't quite fit. Um, so a work in progress, one that I think will find its way because there aren't really any great teams. I mean, you look at UConn, I think they're the two teams I have the most conviction about getting to Houston today, just based on where we are, would be UConn and Houston. Houston. When you watch them, depth, tenacity, experience, skill. I mean, those teams look like, there's some storms during the year, but clearly when it's time, they have what it takes to possibly. The other teams, I mean, Purdue, I love watching them play Arizona, love watching them play Bama, Arkansas, Tennessee. Um, guys, there are a number of those teams, but I would probably right now put Houston maybe a notch above as, as potential Final Four teams than the rest of the field. And a lot of other good teams, Kentucky in that mix, 
um, to maybe develop into that caliber of conviction. But um, good teams, older teams across the board. Transfer portal helps that. Um, NIL helps that some. So you don't see the significant drop-off across teams that you would normally see if you've got a bunch of young guys. and But with the older new guys, that team seems to level off. But um, I think Kentucky just has to get a little better um, playing around and through Oscar and then being able to create a little more off their, their defense. So um, the shot quality isn't just half court. They're getting some, some easier opportunities. I love their, I love their personnel though. I mean, I think yeah. the personnel is, 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 is pretty good across the board. Isn't it fun to watch Oscar? First of all, I, it's, he has this skill of rebounding that I never thought just. He's got great hands. He's got remarkable hands. And he's vice, vice grip hands, man. Yes, yes, he just finds the ball. But it, it's also, he's kind of like got this old man offensive game. You know, he looks like the guy you play at the at the Y who comes and he plays in yeah. jeans and is just, you know, on his lunch break. Just wearing you out. Just yeah. wearing you out. Just yeah. doing these little moves and up and under. And it, it's so fun to watch him do that, which is part of the – translation problem to the to yeah. the nba but it's fun to watch him do it on this level how, how does this guy get every ball how does that happen well and i think rex would agree with this most of your great rebounders aren't usually your tallest guys mm -hmm. they have a knack for sensing where the ball is and then just a relentless desire to pursue it and a lot of them aren't your uber athletes mm -hmm. they have great hands pretty strong, excellent timing, and usually good to great second jumps. They might not get super high, but they bounce. I mean, I, I was not a great leaper, but I could get twice. up twice yep. more than most guys could. And I had really good hands. And so those are rebounding traits. And I think universally you see that. But he's got a tremendous um, work rate. Um, I love his disposition. Um, I think he finds his way. I mean. The game at the NBA level has changed dramatically, but I wouldn't count him out because rebounding does transfer. It, does. it typically always does. Uh, he's a little better than Reggie Evans, I think, offensively. Uh, rebounds like that. And yeah. Reggie found – I mean, again, that's a different time. But yeah, I think but there's a place in the right years. spot. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a place for a guy with his character and his motor. And he's gotten better at shooting a little – the space yeah. up. He's not a terrible passer, and he's a worker. I mean, those kind of attributes sometimes can get you through the get you through the um, the um, the door at the NBA level in the right spot. So I wouldn't count him out. But I, I love watching him work. Love the way he goes about it too. He's got a great disposition. Same, and I think about I, I just think about you forget the other guys on the team at at Kentucky. Cason Wallace is a special basketball player. Yes, I mean, he, he he he's an exceptional yes. and for. He plays both ends of the court. He's conscientious, yep. never takes a play off. He defends. He can shoot it. Yep. I mean, you think about the programs in the country. If you got those two guys, you're probably going to find a way to fill those other, uh, you know, spots in. And, you know, we have veterans this year. We have shooters. Um, yep. Just got to yep. find the right, you know, like you said, find the right mix. And I think all the pieces are there. Yeah, I do. I like the pieces, too. I like Jacob Toppin. I like his. I'd like to see him be consistent because yeah. I think he does a lot of stuff. I mean, he can pass it. He can defend multiple positions. He can make plays without the ball. Um, I think his consistency is going to be key. I love Cason Wallace. I mean, I yeah. think he's so mature for a first-year guy and does everything and had a tough game against UCLA, but that happens. But he's got a lot in his package that um, bodes well going forward. Uh, Clark, what's your favorite movie? Favorite movie? I just watched one of my favorites this time of year. It's A Wonderful Life. I can't watch that without crying. Yeah. Every time they Same. come in with the basket and throw all that money at George Bailey and uh, what he meant, what he meant to people because of his care and commitment. I mean, that is something I would hope I would embody that folks would feel that way about me and Rosie and our that we would engender that type of love. I guess the issue is just being loved and appreciated and so forth and impacting people. That's one of my favorites. Shawshank Redemption is up there too because it's so different than what you think when you first look at yeah. snippets in terms of um, a prison movie. Yeah, you know, right. 
That's I one of that, that's one of my one of my favorites. Yeah. What did he say? I remember the first time I saw Andy Dufresne. <laughs> <laughs> There's several others. You know, we do this, and I need to have my list in front of me. But those are two just right off the top yeah. of my list that uh, you know resonate with me. Fantastic. Uh, pretty strongly. Those are two on um, two good ones for me. What about uh front row center? You could be for any athletic event, any speaker, any group, band, entertainer, uh, dead or alive. Oh man. Well, I'm gonna go with something again, pretty fresh, recency bias here. Okay. World Cup comes here in 2026 to the North America region. And after watching several of the matches in that unbelievable, epic final. Unbelievable. I can't wait to see if I can scratch that off the bucket list for me and whoever in my family wants to go. I know my youngest son who played soccer at a high level is we're already talking about it, but that would be be one to um, just the, you know, the global nature of that event and yeah. the passion of the people is something I want to be close to and not taste from a TV screen. I would just like to be in the midst of, you know, just be amongst it because it is, it's spectacular. I mean, it's just, it just looks the colors, the pageantry, the energy, and the game is, I mean, the game is an amazing game. So that would be one front and center. Um, I would love to be, uh, the, the, the uh, Birmingham letter that my, Dr. King wrote, I read it a couple of times a year. Uh, and just to, to maybe be with Dr. King and some of the other civil rights leaders during the time of their great challenge. You know, in hindsight, you look at it and you frame it differently, but in the midst of that fear, that weight, that responsibility, and some of the things he wrote and said, it would be awesome to be in his company as he's penning some of the words that he penned to see him at work and how that came to be. Performers, music-wise, if I could go back, it would be the Temptations in their heyday, <laughs> and and actually all of Motown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All of Motown. Yeah. Feel that. I mean, the music gets you, no matter how old it is now. It still gets you. But if you could actually, and then the other thing would be, I would want to go back to the Indiana Pacers in the heyday of the ABA. Because I got to meet some of those guys, Mel Daniels, Lake yep. Mel Daniels, yep. um, Bob Nedelecki, Don Boosie, George McGinnis, Darnell Hillman, Fred Th I mean, I got to interact with some of those guys, part of the Pacer franchise family. But if I could just go back, if I could do a back to the future and go to the Smokefield Coliseum, Colonels obviously had a great team, Hubie yep. Brown and the Colonel. I mean, I read Loose Balls, the book, which is amazing because yep. some of those guys I know personally – but just to be able to be transported back into that would be a remarkable, remarkable experience for me. So those are just a couple, a couple of things um, that that uh, that resonate. But there's many more. But we great, got a shot clock. Great answers. And but we usually will call it here. But you you got another question in my mind because I saw on your Twitter you were really into the World Cup. Why aren't <laughs> we any better? And I don't. I know it's a cultural thing, but yeah. to me, here's the the example I use. What I don't, if we had one global superstar, I think that would be a tipping point for us. You know, we're getting closer to really being a soccer yeah, we are. nation. Yeah. And that young group we've got is pretty impressive. They are. They are. But if we had, they got a, a chance. Yeah, they got a And I don't understand how we haven't in saying that. In the NBA, all all these players, you know, uh, Giannis and uh, uh, yeah. MB. the Joker, the Joker, yeah, Joker, Joker. Yeah. MB, and, yeah. uh, uh, Dallas, Luca, Luca, Luca. Luca. Yeah. like they have, Luca. Oh, they've yeah. taken over yeah. the NBA. Why don't we have one great yeah. soccer you know, player? That's a that's a great point, but I think part of it is the seeds that were sown by NBA coaches and college coaches overseas have germinated. They and basketball, I think, is a little faster to grow from a global standpoint. Soccer is such a technical game, and it doesn't have the same esteem that basketball does here. Yeah. 
So I think some of that is your elite athletes that can excel in soccer tend to have options in other sports because of the cachet and the esteem of football, the other football, and basketball. Like my son, I know, my youngest son, Nick, and we've talked about this, if he were, if he had grown up in Europe, he would have chosen soccer. Yeah. I think that was his first love, and he was really pretty elite, even though he juggled both sports. And then ultimately when it came time to choose, because we were here, he chose basketball. And so I think it's just a a catch-up, and you make a valid point. I don't have an answer for you, Josh. I don't know why we don't have a global superstar. I just think we're still a notch behind the other parts of the world with how the game is esteemed and valued. We've gotten better, but that tends to – Sometimes those who could be global superstars maybe from gravitating to soccer. Right. Like sometimes I think in Europe know. and in Europe and other parts of the world, basketball is making some headway. If you're elite in football, the the European football, then usually you're being tracked and traced to try to get to the highest level from an early age. And and that's being reinforced and stoked. Yeah. Right. And I think it, it is here. Well, yeah, I always say, like, sure, if if we had, like, Barry Sanders playing soccer since he was four, we'd have, we'd have had a superstar. <laughs> right. A lot Case made. Case made. Case made. Mugsy. Yeah. Mugsy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Clark, okay, I've got to ask one more thing. Uh, I watch you. I enjoy watching you. It's like putting on a warm winter coat, my favorite slippers, watching you guys. You, you well, and you, I want you to talk for just a second because uh, I know I, I'm good friends with Seth Davis. Seth has been on the show. I know that you're good friends with Seth, but it's, you know, it's kind of more than a friendship. You, you know, a, a Jewish kid from the North and a black kid from Ohio. Talk to me uh, for a couple of minutes right now about, about that friendship. Yeah, man. It's um, mothers from different mothers, quite honestly, when you spend the kind of time we've spent together, um, on that desk, and then you start enjoying and appreciating each other's seasons of life, and you can find uh, edification, um, fun, uh, common ground around important people and things, then it connects you. And it's actually a great example of how when we take the time, some of some of our time is forced through work, but when we do take the time to engage with other people, even if we don't quite come from the same place or look the same, perhaps the same traditions, there's common ground based on our humanity. And so that to me is the driving force. Sure, we love to do what we do. He's a fantastic writer, um, very cute. I love his energy. I love his um, experiences. I love watching him parent his three boys because my kids are, we have a girl and two boys, but they're a little older. So some of the things that he's wrestling with are things that Rosie and I wrestle with him trying to balance raising versus um, developing and being friends versus being parents, you know, the the life stuff. And so being able to share that uh, in a way has drawn us closer. And then we have some common interests and passions, but it's been a rich, rich relationship, man. A kinship, a comradeship. It's not just a a work relationship. And the same with Greg Gumbel too. I mean, when you connect to folks and have common ground, it, um, it's better. But Seth and I have have gone pretty deep over the years on we share spirituality. I mean, my faith is in Christ. He's of Jewish background, but there's common ground there too, major common ground. So uh, it's just fun to be around um, a guy like him. Uh, I've been Beautiful. I've been enriched by his friendship, and I trust that it's been um, been mutually uplifting and, and life giving. I know that it has. Clark, can't thank you enough for doing this. This has been a big thrill, personal thrill for me. Me too. No, my pleasure. Rex and Josh, great to be with you guys, man. Maybe we'll do it again uh, when Kentucky is rolling a little better offensively. They've worked out the kinks. But even if not, there's plenty of basketball to talk. And I know the folks in Lexington, even though they want to hear about the um, Big Blue, they don't mind talking basketball across the board either. I know that if we hear this season in the future, you say that Kentucky has spurtability. I know we've made it. Well, you know, you know, you know the genesis. You know the genesis of that word, right? It was a 1996 Kentucky champion. I think that is that's right. With, that's that's, that's the first that. time. That's the first time I used that word. I created it because of them. Because every game they played, 
They blitzkrieg somebody, 12-zip, 10-2. It happened every single game. Yep, that was the definition of spurtability. They are, they are the, if, you, if you made me put a picture of a team in the dictionary, they are it. It was 96. That group. Mercer, Mercer, Walker, Antoine, Delk, Antoine, yes, McCarty. Yes, it was those dudes, McCarty. Yeah, it was those dudes, man. They, you be going along, it's tight. Boom, 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 over. Twelve, two, yeah, fourteen, yeah, four. Yeah. Bang. You know, we always name our championship teams, and that team could have very well been That's the Spurtables. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, not could have been. They are. They're the genesis of that compound word. That's right. They are it. I'm telling you, from the from the author's mouth. That's it. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Clark. All right, Thanks, brother. Buddy. Appreciate it. Merry Christmas, Do it again. Guys. You too. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. It's amazing, right? That was. God. Special K, the first special K. I mean, all of it. I swear, he's he's one of my first. Well, he's, you know, you get to be middle school age and start taking things a little more seriously sports-wise. And uh, he was just the guy. I, I wore 30, he wore 33 at Ohio State, and I wore 33 for a couple of years, uh, mainly because of David Thompson, but it right. didn't hurt that Clark wore it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we're glad you settled in on that. Yeah, on three. Yeah. What a guy, though. Again, between, between two, two turns. Yeah. I mean, he just, he he's a 20 and 10 guy uh, his whole life, even in the NBA. It's just what he does. You put him out there for 30 <laughs> minutes and he gets 20 and 10. And then all of a sudden it's over. It's over. And look at him here 35 years later. Um, he's the preeminent announcer for college basketball, the guy. And again, it does. Every time I, you said it, when you hear that song and you hear that his voice, mm -hmm. you know it's it, yeah, it's, it's it just tangled. feels warm. Yeah, 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 it is. You put a, he's a warm slippers come yeah. March. What a what a fantastic guy. Yeah, that was right? Yeah. That was amazing. Uh well, all right. That was episode seventy, Josh. You want to do it again next week? I would. I really would. Yeah, it's been good seeing been, you been here in Lexington. Fun to do one together. That's very nice. Yeah. <laughs> For Rex Chapman and Josh Hopkins, we'll join you here next week on basketballnews.com.